I was a sophomore at Mansfield High School and my soccer coach at the time was our special ed teacher and he asked me to come help in special needs. So I went off to college. For some reason I took a class on autism and I volunteered at the Texas School for the Deaf as part of the cheering squad for their football games. So I did a lot of this. I really had no idea what that was setting me up for. I moved back to Mansfield and met my husband. Had a baby, he's a coach. I had three businesses. Our jobs were more important than anything else. We weren't successful at our marriage. So after we divorced, I didn't want to have anything to do with Shane. I would make my mom do the exchange when he wanted to see our son Brody. We basically did not speak to each other. Shane's best friend from college, Brandon, was diagnosed with stomach cancer. I know the divorce was hard for him, but I can't imagine losing your wife and son and then losing your best friend. And looking back on that, I kick myself because I left him alone at the time when he probably needed me the most. I started coming back to church here, would just sit in the back row by myself and cry. It was almost just a wake-up call that this can't be the life I was meant to have. I was getting home after my son was asleep, and so I sold my stores and I came to work part-time as children's admin. That whole process of being poured into set me up for changing how I viewed Shane, my marriage. We were divorced for four years, and it was the day before Brody's birthday, Shane had asked to see him and my mom couldn't do it. So Shane came to the house and I look up and seriously our eyes locked and my heart changed. That's the guy I fell in love with. That's the guy I married. What am I doing? This is my family. I'm gonna fight for it. I took Brody to the water park for his birthday and I'm sitting there looking at him and he looks just like his dad. And I took a picture and I texted it to him. Before, I never would have sent a picture because I wouldn't feel he deserved it. For the first time in years, I sent him a text picture of Brody. Shane said that he was kneeling uh, next to Brandon's grave, praying for our family. He said, when I get back in town, do you think we could go to lunch? And I said, you can take me to church. That day, that message, it was meant for us. Pastor David talked about grace. And from that moment on, life kind of changed. Our family is important. We're gonna do whatever it takes. And then we had a second baby named Brandon. <laughs> After Shane's best friend, we said our vows again in the chapel, the same chapel. <laughs> this church was a place of healing. I would volunteer in special needs. The ministry started growing and I started Helen Tina had some ideas and she was supportive. They let me add a Bible study. We realized that the ministry was so big, they created a director of special needs ministry. My life is where it is today because of grace. From high school, my soccer coach asking me to work with special needs, college, I just volunteered to now be at the church the first director of special needs ministry. I know now what God's plan is for me to advocate and serve individuals with disabilities. A couple months ago, I realized in church, I wasn't crying because I was sad. I was crying because I'm so thankful to be here and that God put on my heart this ministry. So now I really do think when I cry, it's joy and I thank Him for doing the things he did and putting me here.
idea it was to show those before this sermon. I get a little choked up before. I'm just like, get it together, Johnny. You got to say some stuff. Like, good night, man. I'm so thankful for um, Amanda and the story that she shared with us, um, all the people that in these videos over the past couple of weeks that they've shared. Uh, Tina, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, my understanding is uh, three years ago yesterday is when uh, Shane and Amanda reconciled and got married again. So their anniversary was yesterday. Yes, I did the wedding right here. Right here in this spot mm -hmm. three years ago three yesterday. yesterday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's the gospel, isn't it? It is. Reconciliation, redemption, grace, love, just so thankful for them and the way God's worked and moved in them. Ah, oh, man. Y'all want to get out of here early? What's up? I'm like, <laughs> I wrote a lot of stuff. I'm going to share it anyways. And so, um, welcome, everybody. I'm glad you're here. Good to be in church today. Um, if we haven't met before. Uh, my name is Johnny, and I have the absolute honor uh, of serving as the lead pastor for this worship community that we call The Well at First Methodist Mansfield. If this is your first time here at The Well or The Well Cafe, uh, just so you know, uh, we have two services, one service going on in two locations. Uh, so if you're upstairs for the first time, this is your first time here, there's a lot of people down here worshiping too. And if you're here for the first time, there's people on the other side of campus upstairs worshiping with us. Uh, as well. Just a, a beautiful uh, testament to the diversity of our church and the way we worship together. Love it. Glad we're here. So before we dive in, uh, I wanted to share a couple things with you about this past week. Just as a pastor, I uh, feel a little bit obligated to do this. Um, I, I got uh, my undergraduate degree is a Bachelor of Science in Religion. I wanted that because I wanted to say I got BS in religion. And um, <laughs> is that appropriate to say from up here? I don't know. Then I go to seminary to get a divinity uh, grad degree. Uh, so nothing I have done in my educational career uh, has had anything to do with political science or anything. But I, I, do, um, I do share in spiritual matters, and that's what I wanted to share today. Um, we have just finished probably what is the most divisive and tumultuous election season, at least one that I've been a part of, and for many of you, I'm sure, as well. I can't speak for all elections. I haven't been around for all of them, and I'm sure some of them got pretty nasty, but this one is just a particularly uh, draining. And I just wanted to share a few things because uh, what I realize is across our campus, across our many services, uh, and especially here in this worship community, we have people in here that uh, after the results of Tuesday, are excited. There's some of us that are very excited. We feel like our prayers have been answered. We've, this is what we've been hoping for and praying for. For others of us, we are disappointed. And we feel like our prayers went unanswered. And this is not what we hoped for. And you're all sitting together in, in these spaces, worshiping the same God together. What I wanted to do is share a few things in relation to that. First off, that realization that we are here together while we might have fallen on different sides, while we might have voted for different people, while we may not have voted at all because we didn't know how to um, based on what our choices were, um, that we're all here and we're unified in Christ. And as Paul says in, in many times over in his letters that we, we are not citizens of this world, we are citizens of heaven. And our allegiance lies first and foremost with God. 
And that while we participate in this world and, and, and we, we are invested in, in our local governments and our federal governments, um, that our allegiance lies first and foremost in heaven. And, and we are citizens of, of that. The other thing as I, that I'm aware of is that uh, no candidate ever is the Messiah that we hope for them to be. And no candidate ever is the devil that we fear them to be. Uh, neither one of those things are the true. Instead, all people that find themselves in public office through election um, or through appointment are flawed individuals just like you and me. And so in the aftermath of this election, I, I wanted to share just three things that I think we as people of faith should be um, consistently doing and committed to do, responsible to practice together. The first thing is to pray for those that have been elected. They all need our prayers, uh, praying for those at the federal level, those at our state and local level, praying for them, for their families, for, the, for wisdom, for, for leadership as they seek to serve our country. The second thing is this, and maybe the most important thing, is that no matter who gets elected to any office anywhere, it does not change our mission as people of faith to be builders in this world. And as we have gone through a political season where it has been appropriate to tear others down, even encouraged in some ways, when we live in a world that, that, uh, that defaults toward tearing others down, when we disagree, we as people of faith, as people of God, are called to be builders of God's better world. To be countercultural when it comes to that and, and to be builders rather than those that tear down. And the third thing is I want to remind us of the incredible blessing it is to have the freedom to participate in a democratic process, to be able to participate in choosing the leadership of our country, to have the peaceful transfer of powers, even, even when a new party is coming in, that it is a peaceful transfer. And so as part of that, understanding where that freedom comes from. And this past weekend, uh, this past week also, we celebrated Veterans Day on Friday alongside this. And so we are so thankful for those that have dedicated their lives to serving this country and ensuring the freedoms that we enjoy. So on this Veterans Day weekend, I want to ask this, and I hope it doesn't make anybody uncomfortable upstairs or downstairs, but if, if you are um, a veteran, if you have served in any of our branches of the military, um, I don't want you to just raise your hand. I want to ask you if you wouldn't mind standing uh, here, or maybe if you are the spouse um, uh, of a veteran or a family of a veteran, or maybe you are the mother, brother, uh, um, child of a veteran who might not be here anymore. I just want to ask you to stand. Is anybody in here? Yes, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. We just want to say thank you. Thank you for the gift that you have given us. Your sacrifice has provided us this blessing of, of participating in this process, so thank you for that. Uh, in just a few minutes, as we wrap up this series, Change Lives, Changing Lives, we're going to have the opportunity for each of us to share our own commitment and our shared future together as a people of faith, uh, as, as people that come to First Methodist Mansfield. So uh, some of you have brought your estimate of giving card all filled out, prepared, uh, you're ready for today. Some of you, I know, have already turned this in over the past few weeks. Others of you are still prayerfully considering uh, your commitment. But regardless of where you are today, if you call 
First Methodist Mansfield, your church home. When people ask you, hey, where do you go to church? You say, I go to First Methodist Mansfield, and I love it. You should come with me sometime. If you call First Methodist Mansfield home, we're going to ask you uh, at the end of the service. We're all going to come forward, and we have a basket here, and we're going to place it there uh, upstairs. We have a basket as well where you get to share that at the conclusion of our service. The series has been centered around asking four key questions to help us remain focused and centered around our mission, the thing that we have been called to by Christ as the church. And those four questions are this, what do we do? How do we do it? What's required for us to do that thing? And lastly, what is success? Each of our weeks have been about answering those questions. If you missed any of them, they're all available online on our podcast or on our website. Invite you to catch up. I wanna answer that fourth question for you now. Uh, so that it's fresh on, my, uh, on our minds as we read our scripture, as we hear our stories today. Normally I would try to be coy and like wait till the end to like reveal it, but we're just going to do it now. All right, so the question for us today is what is success? And the answer is this, success is changed lives committed to changing lives. That's what success looks like. Lives that get changed and then commit themselves to changing other lives. This is what this whole series has been about doing for others what Christ has done for us. Success in the Christian faith is defined by this grace growing to its full measure in our lives, completing its work in us, which then is exhibited in generous living. This is how love completes its work in us. It works in us and then it works through us. So if you have your Bible with you today, I want to invite you to turn or click over to 2 Corinthians. It's in the New Testament if you're new to the Bible. It's the second half of, uh, of this book. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, we have blue ones in both venues. Uh, grab one of those blue ones for today. Uh, and you can find our scripture on page 1799. While you're doing that, I want to share with you just a quick little bit of context. 2 Corinthians is written by the Apostle Paul, who wrote a large chunk of our New Testament. He writes two letters to the church in Corinth, hence 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Really clever when we named those things. Uh, and the, the two letters to the Corinthian uh, church makes up the largest chunk of Paul's contribution to the New Testament. Now, Paul didn't know he was contributing to this thing called the New Testament when he was writing this. But Paul uh, saw himself as a bit of a leader and a shepherd for many churches around the air area as uh, of Asia Minor and the Roman Empire as uh, Christianity was growing, as this thing, this, this church, these Jesus followers were, were collecting themselves and then ministering to the world. Paul saw himself as a leader and as somebody invested in those churches. So he wrote letters to them because he couldn't just hop on a plane and travel around or in a car and travel around to these different churches and be a guest speaker, but he wrote letters for them to, for them to read. And in this section right here, uh, actually it's, it's kind of a one big section, chapters 8 and 9. We're just going to look at a little bit of chapter 8. Paul's writing here in 2 Corinthians to encourage the Corinthian church in their generosity and to grow, to excel in the grace of giving. Now, he breaks this up into two parts. The first part, Paul's going to give an example of a church uh, for the Corinthian church, an example of the Macedonian church uh, that was living in a time of trial. They were going through hardship. They didn't have a lot of their own resources, and yet they found it within themselves to be extremely joyful and generous. And Paul wants to use that as an example to inspire the Corinthian church. And then the second part is where Paul talks about the Corinthian church's own generosity and the understanding that this is a thing, this is a thing of unity and equality and togetherness, something that we all participate in together so that all 
may be blessed. So if you found it, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 1. Paul writes to the, the people of Corinth. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service of the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Speaking to the Corinthians. But since you excel in everything, well, that was encouraging, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love we have kindled in you. Because you excel in everything already, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Let's pause there for a second. That's that first section where Paul knows the potential of the Corinthian church to be generous, to influence people in their community, to influence other churches, to change lives. Paul knows their potential. And so Paul wants to share with them a story of a church that nobody thought it had any potential, and yet they felt compelled to share in this work that the Lord was doing. They urgently asked, as it says here, to participate in it. And Paul says they gave to their ability. They even gave beyond their ability, and now they have become an inspiration for all, even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of poverty. What I love about this is that this, this shows us that, uh, that those who live generously can be a source of inspiration and encouragement for all of us. And we should let that happen around us. You know, most of our learned behavior as humans comes from modeling, right? Like, that's, that's where we learn things. As, as children, uh, we, we see things modeled by our, our parents, uh, by our friends. And that's how we learn our behaviors, and that's how we grow, and that's how we're molded and shaped. And that's why this is so important. Paul wants to show the Corinthian church a model for what it means to live generously. And that's why I think it's so important for us, kind of as a side note too, uh, many of you I know are parents in the room, even if you're not a parent, that, that when you live generously, that you're modeling that for your children, that you're modeling that for your friends, for the rest of your family. They see you, they see your life, they see you live generously, and, and when they see that and you can talk to them about it, they begin to understand it and they begin to live generous lives themselves. I think of the story that we shared, the video that we shared last week of Harper and Ashley Stewart and how they, they loved to give, they loved the church, and, and Harper encountered his friend and was talking with his friend, and um, his friend shared with him their life of generosity. 
And Harper was taken back by his friend because he thought his friend was in a situation where it, he wouldn't be able to be as generous as Harper thought he would, that he was in a situation much like the Macedonian church. Like, you of all people, I know you've got uh, some burdens, some financial burdens in your family and things that you have to take care of. Like, I can't believe you. But he became an inspiration for Harper, and it changed him. It changed his life. It changed the way he thought about his own life and, and all the things that he had. And his friend modeled that for him and inspired him and it changed him. And now their family is a part of modeling that for the rest of us as well and encouraging us to live generously. Let's move on. Verse 10. Uh, after saying all this, uh, Paul says this, and here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter about living generously. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Paul wants to express the togetherness of generosity as people of faith. That it's not a one-sided thing, that it's something that we all participate in. It is a shared sacrifice for a shared future. The ministry of our church here, First Methodist Mansfield and any other church, uh, is a self-funded ministry, which means that everything we do, we do together. And the scope of our ministry, meaning what, we, what is possible in our ministry, the scope of our ministry is always tied to the depth of our collective generosity. Our generosity of our time, the generosity of our presence, and the generosity of our money. Collectively, the scope of our ministry is always tied to the depth of our generosity. And as we talked about last week, generosity is the fuel that God uses to change lives. Generosity is the fuel that God uses to change lives. We talked about this from Scripture, that God loved the world so much that he first gave. John, John talks about this in one of his letters, that we love because God first loved. This is the essence of who God is. God is generous. God gives. And so as people made in the image of God, we are never more like God. We are never more like his son Jesus than when we are living generously. Then we, when we see life not as something to be consumed, but rather as something to be given away. Our life, our time, our talents, our money, the very life itself, the very breath in our lungs is a gift. And so when we see everything about us as an opportunity to glorify God by blessing others, then we are never more like God than in that moment. 
Generosity is the fuel that God uses to change lives, our lives and other lives. And when our lives are completely and totally bought into that, that is success. Changed lives, changing lives. We see it, the video that we shared uh, the very first week, and somebody like Kyle, and all the kids that, that come to the landing come seeking a, a safe haven, a, a place where they can, they can work through life struggles or faith struggles, a place where they can be vulnerable and there are adults there that care about them, even in the midst of their mess, accept them just as they are so that they can meet God right where they are. And there are people that are so generous to spend a couple hours on their Thursday night to be up there and to, 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 to sing songs with those kids and to be in groups with those kids, to hear their stories, to struggle with them, to pray with them. Other adults that end up here on Wednesday nights for our teens or, you know, the hundreds of children that we have in children's ministry, that's generosity, giving of your time for other people's kids, to share faith with them, to share life with them. And also to know that when I give, when I put money in the plate, or for me when it's auto-drafted technology, uh, when it's auto-drafted out, to know that even though I don't give my time, I can't give my time, I'm not called to give my time there, that I'm a part of that. That I'm invested in that ministry and I'm invested in the work that God is doing through those ministries in people. I see it in people like Kathy, who week two, we shared her story, who I think volunteers literally at every single thing that we do here at this church. She's like the energizer bunny. She just doesn't quit. She does that. And a couple weeks ago, I got to share in a special time with her when a group of us went to Teague, Texas, uh, to go behind the walls of the, of the men's unit there, a prison, and worship with people that have been locked away and, and forgotten about. And we got to go inside the walls there, and Kathy was with us, and she's part of a Kairos team that does extended and extensive ministry in the prisons there. And we got to come and, and sing with them and share with hundreds of men, all dressed in white. And that's what they wear every single day. And we got to worship together. Just a beautiful moment. Harper and Ashley, we hear their story of, of how generosity has changed their lives and how they see their things and how when they... Uh, when they loosen that grip that their possessions and that their finances have on their heart. Not that they don't care for their family, not that they don't continue to support themselves, but that they, they see it as opportunities to give and to bless others. We see how their life, lives have changed. We see it in Amanda's story and how that, those simple decisions changed the entire course of her life. Hers, her families, and all the families that come as part of our special needs ministry that are touched by the, just the extravagant generosity of people's time and their money. It's amazing. I see it in myself and my family. Three years ago, my wife and I went through a, an adoption story, and uh, our son Charlie and so many people in this church were just so incredibly generous as they surrounded us and and helped support us and helped us fund the crazy expenses that come with adoption, but also prayed for us, that brought food to our house after we were done, that, I mean, just the way we were surrounded by this body of faith was just incredible. We've experienced that. 
We've also experienced it on the other hand too, where we get to give and we get to respond in generosity. As we see need arise and we felt that change in our lives as well. And I see it in many of you in the way you live your lives. And the way you see your lives as fully as opportunities to give and to bless and to glorify God. And when we do that, we commit ourselves to that, it spreads beyond us. Because you have no idea what happens after your changed life helps change this life and then how many lives that life touches. We often don't get to see that, but we, but we know that it spreads beyond us. Many of you might know that uh, about a week ago, we had a team uh, in Guatemala, uh, about 12 people or so from our church, uh, that went there with Zoe Ministry. Zoe Ministry is a ministry that we partner with at this church, have for several years, uh, and they went there uh, in, in Guatemala. We've had several teams over the years go to Rwanda with, uh, with Zoe. Uh, we'll have a team in February uh, going to India. I get to be a part of that team. Are you on that team, Tina? All right, sweet. Um, uh, we'll, we'll be heading out to India uh, but we had a team come back recently uh, from Guatemala. And if you don't know what Zoe is, Zoe is an orphan empowerment program. In these areas in the world, as many areas as they can be in, um, there are orphans. Uh, there are these households that are headed by kids that are 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. They're responsible for their families, their younger siblings. Um, and for whatever reason, that, that's their life situation has ended up there. And what Zoe does is come in and not just throw money, not just parachute, drop goods, and say, hey, here's some stuff, good luck, you know, figure it out. What Zoe does is comes in, finds key leaders in the community, and invests in those children. Helps them not only work through their life story, understand their hurts, under, understand the events of their life and their experience and help them process that, but also helps them learn a trade, learn a skill, and gives them a microloan so they can start their own business and begin to support themselves and their family and the community. It's an amazing program. It's amazing to see how it has worked and changed generations of lives in communities, transformed entire villages and communities in some of these areas. And not because somebody flew in and just fixed it all, because they invested time in other people and they were able to grow themselves. And your generosity over the years has helped fund many of these ministries. We give at Christmas Eve, I know many of you do that, uh, but we don't just give money, we're giving hope. And our visits, when we go to these places, when we go to Rwanda, when we go to Guatemala, when we're going to go to India, these aren't to go and fix things. We don't pack hammer and nails and go down and fix things. We go because these communities of people, these kids that are growing and learning, that are supporting themselves, they want somebody tangible, somebody physically there, somebody visible that they can thank that they can give their gratitude toward. And, and as part of that, they give gifts and they share some of their culture and the fruits of their labor, sometimes quite literally the fruits that they have grown. They want to share it with you so that you can eat it. And not all of us got to go. I know some of us in the church, very few of us got to go on that trip, but we all get to experience thanks to our video team who went. So I want to share with you this video just to share you just with you just a glimpse of what our team experienced there in Guatemala. So take a look at this video with me, if you will.
breathtaking. To see not only the landscape, but to see those faces. Kids that if they were here, they should be just playing on their phones and sleeping in and going to class. But yet they find themselves in a situation where they're supporting their siblings and their family. And you're a part of that. You might not have been there physically, but you were there. You were there. On our altars uh, upstairs and down here uh, are some of the gifts that were given to us this past week, the team that was there uh, by many of the children that are in the Zoe program. We also have them all over the altar in the, in the sanctuary as well. There were many things that were shared uh, with the team that they couldn't bring back, some food items, and I heard about some homemade corn tortillas that uh, even if the team was allowed to bring those back, they probably wouldn't have made them back. <laughs> Almost at every stop that our team goes to, there are kids that are greeting them with fresh-picked flowers, grabbing their hand and their arm and rushing them to these places where they have presentations of, of thanks for our team. They sang for our team. They danced for our team. They're amazing. And one of the most humbling aspects of these trips as, as we go is that these trips are going, we engage these orphans and these vulnerable children who are supporting, uh, that we're supporting in their pursuit of a better life, and all they want to do is say thank you and shower us with gifts. They can't wait to show us the way they work. They can't wait to, to bless everyone with these offerings of thanksgiving for what you have done for them. Those 12 people were a physical representation of all of you here. And now their lives will not only sustain themselves and their families, but also other kids who come to learn from them. That's success. We as changed lives live generously, changing lives on the other side of the world, people that you may never ever meet, you can only see in video. And then those lives are changed and they are participating in changing other lives as well. We do for others what God has done for us. So as we conclude our series today and we conclude our, conclude our time of worship today, I want to invite you, whether you have filled out your card or not, whether you've already turned it in or not, um, to take one of these cards. If you've already filled it out and you brought it with you, you got it. If you've turned one in earlier or you haven't turned one in yet, we have plenty of those in the seat backs. But I want everybody to participate, everybody who calls First Methodist Mansfield home to participate in this, we are going to make this final decision together, this commitment together as we come down to the front and we share our sacrifice, our shared sacrifice together and the commitment to be a part of the mission that God has set before us for 2017 and add your gift to these altars that have these gifts that were given to us. And we're gonna pray and ask God to multiply these blessings that we have, that we give freely and joyfully to multiply them and send them forth with his blessing and with his spirit. Let's pray together. Holy God, we thank you so much for your presence with us. We thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for the gift of your spirit. We thank you for 
you, God, and just the way you have touched our lives, the way you have changed our lives through other people, through the generosity of those that have come before us, God. And we pray now as we come and we bring our commitment to, to participate in your work through this church, God, that you continue to work in us, continue to change in us, God, and to work through this sacrifice, to work through this commitment to change other lives, God. Because we long to be like you, to share in your generosity and in your grace. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.